From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus, and you can follow me on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. You can follow her at Liz Rocher. Happy Friday, Liz. Happy Friday, Justin. <laughs> I guess legally we can't call it Twitter, I guess. It's not... No, we're going to call it Twitter. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, legally, we, we, we certainly can. But uh, yeah. I guess it does not. Here's the thing. He can't come after us for calling his business something else. That's just <laughs> not. It's not how it works. Accurately. I could call it the duty head factory. <laughs> and often do. Yes. Uh, but hopefully we're having happier Fridays than they are about 3,000 miles west of here, where devastating news surfaced out of Anaheim this morning. Shohei Otani, Major League Baseball and global baseball superstar, has torn the ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow of his pitching arm. His season is over. This is terrible news for Otani, who is set to enter free agency and was projected by actual people, not just MLB network propagandists, to make world-breaking money. This is terrible news for the Angels, who were making the small moves they did make at the trade deadline for the sole purpose of trying to prove to Otani that they were willing to win now and in any remaining years of a deal he'd sign with them, potentially. Uh, this is terrible news for Angels fans. What few of them haven't walked into the sea, but have <laughs> borne witness to some of baseball's most vicious and brutal crimes in the past few years. And this is terrible news for baseball fans in general who were watching a guy make history with every pitching start and every at-bat. Liz, according to ESPN Stats and Info, Otani's finishing the season with 167 strikeouts. So he has two seasons with 40 home runs and 150 pitching strikeouts in his career. No other player has done this once in MLB history. And yes, being a position player who also pitches, or pitcher who also plays a position, whatever, uh, this opens up a new statistical column for him, and I think a lot of stats exist in this realm where it's like, oh, no one's ever done this before because people don't often do anymore what Otani's doing. That being said, he's still one of the best ever to do what he does, <laughs> even though there's such a limited amount of people within that category. And General Liz, your thoughts here. This is My take was this is terrible news for just about everybody. Yep. I mean, there's no silver lining to it at all. I mean, Brian Kenny may be happy because he's been like the lone voice saying, yeah, you should maybe get $265 million. I'm like, are you insane? He might be the only one who's happy, but that's the only one. This is really depressing news. He was, I mean, this is, of course, what happens to a fun player. I mean, there's no question he's the most valuable player in baseball. doesn't matter if he doesn't hit another home run or take another bat. It does not matter. He alone, he alone kept the... Uh, it kept the Angels afloat this year, and without him, we'll see just how vital he was. <laughs> I mean, this was the first time the Angels truly felt like, <laughs> this is crazy, but like they were centering their efforts around Otani. It was like, yeah, he's here, but we're, we're still reluctant to, to really build around him in a significant way outside of signing superstars 
there, there was very little support. There's very little, you know, their farm system is terrible and has, hasn't really been built up over the past few years, despite their poor finishes. Uh, they didn't really build a supporting cast around any of these stars they brought in. They didn't really build a pitching staff around uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to help support the superstars they'd bring in. Uh, and now, finally, the past couple of weeks, it was like, well, we do want him. We took him off the trade market because we do want him to think he can play here. And this is a good, fun place, you know, productive place to play where he can get his World Series ring, where he can do the things he wants to do in his career. I don't know how they talked Mike Trout into signing a deal. But I'll, by the way, the bad news isn't done. Mike Trout is headed back to the injured list as well, still experiencing discomfort in his left wrist in, uh, in which he broke his hammock bone earlier this season. Uh, but in regards to Otani, this really felt like the first time that, yeah, they were like, let's bring in these guys, you know, do what we can with these, the you know, paltry options available here on the trade market to just, you know, do this pathetic little effort to, to convince Otani. No, look, we are willing to do things. We are willing to to build this up and, and you can be here and you can still be a part of this and please stay and you should stay. And, and staying would be good, I think. I think all of this, I think it might have put a little bit too much pressure on Otani because they made these little moves and he's not stupid. He understands, you know, who he is and his role on the team. So he's trying as hard as he possibly can. Like he's trying really hard. He pitched through cramps for the last few weeks. Cramps that kept recurring. Gee, I wonder if he had stopped pitching. Hmm. If things might have been different. I can't help but think that. That the the Angels' incompetence and their desire to just try, quote unquote, try after the fact, essentially, it just like it it continues. To, it hurts more than just themselves. It's like actually now hurt Otani. Cheapest owners in baseball all woke up this morning and spit out their coffee uh, as this might have impacted the free agent market. Just considering what what lies ahead, Liz, what do you think? Dave Dombrowski throws Otani a one year deal. Nah. <laughs> no, he's here's the thing. You does uh, I don't know what he's going to do next year. This is like a the entire 2024 pitching season is off the table for him and it's not really clear if he's going to have surgery. We don't know right now. It's not clear if he's going to come back and, you know, continue to uh to t- continue to bat this season if he's going to hit um if he'll be able to do that next season. Like Yeah, it's, it's unclear if he'll ever pitch again. Yeah, it's unclear if he'll ever pitch again. And so that really does impact things. I don't know who's going to do what, but I I don't know how you still don't give him an insane contract. Yeah, I mean, he still is who he is, and this is a serious injury, but not a career ender. No, he's um, young. Yeah, and he's that's the other strong, thing. He's strong, and he's committed. He's committed to baseball. It's his life, you know? And so this is... Coming back from this is his job. I feel as if saying he won't pitch again is a little premature. I think I don't know who is saying that. I don't believe it's Otani or anyone oh, in no. his camp. No, God no. Like anyone saying that no, no one's gonna. You can't pitch again after you have two Tommy Johns is ignoring. Uh, like a number of guys still around in MLB now and who had long careers after their second. Their second Tommy John, like Craig Kimbrell had two Tommy Johns, right? Yeah, the uh, I know the statistic is that the comeback uh, is is much lower for the second time, but there are certainly success stories out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, who could do? Who else would be able to do it than the most improbable, incredible, talented 
once in a millennium player. Yeah, and that's why no one is saying, oh, we're not going to see him on a field again. That would be insane because anybody would give him a deal. Even if he came back a, a shadow of a man, he would still be a very productive baseball player. And I think I don't think that's going to be the case anyway. So uh, this is just a, a tragic development, really, for baseball. And it, it leaves me with three questions because I don't want to forget about Trout either. Uh, who wins a World Series first, Liz? The Angels? Shohei Otani or Mike Trout? <laughs> uh, I'll say Shohei Otani. Okay. okay. I'll say Otani because at this point, I, I think it could be either of them, but I, I don't think Trout's going anywhere. I think he's he's chained himself to the Angels for the rest of his career. Mm, that's true. And Otani still has a lot of career left ahead of him. And so he will, if he's going to make a choice, he's going to, for sure, choose a team that has a lot of um, pedigree for World Series. You know, we'll, and we'll actually end up seeing what matters to him the most. Because you, you look at Mike Trout and you think, yes, he wants to get to the playoffs. But if he really super duper wanted that, he would not have signed with the Angels. And I think he knows that. What you know? happened in that meeting? What did? How did they convince him to do that? I mean, it's not like he, he was making a ton of noise about wanting to get out of Anaheim at the time of that extension either. So I think I, I, the general impression is that he, he is a as, as big of a talent as he is. He is a very low-key presence, and he is he's not necessarily drawn to the bright lights. And I'm not saying that as a slight. I, don't, I really don't think it is one. At the time, I would have guessed, oh, he's doing what he wanted to do in an environment he's familiar with, and whatever they said was enough. To, uh, to, to, to put whatever small amount of reluctance he had on hold. And I think today he regrets this. I think by now he has regretted signing this deal, and I think he probably serves more as a warning to Otani. I wanted to lean towards Trout in that question. I wanted to say, yeah, I think a Trout in like a couple years, blah, 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 winds up on a team. You know, he's starting for a different team. He's in the, the winter of his career, and he's on a club that manages to win a World Series, and he finally gets his ring. And he's still contributing and everything. He's not like a broken-down player at that point. But I could see that situation happening, but what you just laid out I think is just so much more likely. It, I think he, at this point he is nothing but a warning sign to Otani about the Angels. Yeah, there's no chance Otani stays with them no matter what happens with his arm. It doesn't matter. He, want, he wants to win. Mm -hmm. And if... I look at guys like him. I look at guys like Chris Bryant. You know, like he stands out to me as a guy who made his choice. He had like he's lucky he happened to be drafted and, you know, promoted, and, you know, and played for a World Series team early in his career. But and now he took an enormous contract in Colorado, a beautiful a beautiful state where he could afford to live anywhere. It's just a short a short plane ride uh, to Nevada, which is where he's from. He doesn't care about winning anymore. He just wants to play and have a, you know, have a family. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, every baseball player, I think, is competitive to, like, a certain degree. And some go way beyond and really want more. And some are fine with what they have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think none of them will ever admit it. You just sort of have to look at it. And I think maybe Mike Trout thought that's who he was and I think he's now looking and being like this is this was a mistake there was a commercial a few years ago I don't know what it was for but it featured Mike Trout and Andrew Luck 
And I remember seeing a Colts writer saying, I don't know what they paid Andrew Luck to appear in that ad, but it must have been a lot. Just telling you, like, this is a guy who does not seek these kind of opportunities out. He does. He keeps to himself. He's, you know, he, he does not. He is not as interested in this aspect of being a professional athlete. And you could tell because you didn't see him doing that kind of stuff a whole lot. And that's kind of the same deal with Mike Trout, who appeared in the ad with him. Like I feel is that this is not a guy who necessarily is is after that. Whereas Otani, I also think is is pretty um, uh, low key, but is also like we're saying younger in a different part of his career. And I do think a little more willing to take on. The big, I mean, it's too late. He's not not playing under spotlights here. It's not like he's it's not like he's uh, not the most famous player in baseball or anything like this is a number one across the world at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that being said, you think he stays on the West Coast? Um, That's a really good question. I don't know. I think. He could slide right into a Dodgers uniform and no one would be the wiser, honestly. Yeah, like, really. It just makes it just makes so much sense. I, I think, yeah, I think if he's gonna stay on the on the West Coast, is definitely he's just gonna go Dodgers, and that'll be it. And they'll give him a lot of money to stay there. They'll just give him for- a lot of money to stay there, and that that'll be great. Like I think about Trout, and like if he were like a bigger personality, a better clubhouse guy, like obviously, like not that he's like terrible, but again, he doesn't seek out attention. In that way, I wonder if he'd be a little we'd be thinking, yeah, a team could pick him up and find a lot of value in him like overall. Yeah. But oh, God. Yeah. I, I you know, you look at his injury history and everything and you wonder. What is the rest of his career is really going to look like if he chooses to leave the Angels at some point? Yeah. And I think honestly, I think the, the best parts of it are. Kind of done. I mean, uh, Jeff Fletcher, uh, he covers oh, the Angels for the God. Orange County Register, talked about, uh, well, I think it was like a rain delay or something, and he asked Angels fans for their most hot, for their hottest takes. And, you know, a lot of people were saying stuff that he had to, he was just like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's even that controversial at this point. Uh, and they, a lot of them had to do with the fact that, like, yeah, yeah, I think we've seen the best years of Mike Trout. Uh, I don't think we're, you know, necessarily, even when he comes back, I don't think we're necessarily going to get the guy. Uh, that we had before, and Jeff Fletcher was like, yeah, I mean, nobody's as good at 33 as they were at 32. Like, at that point, you really just start to see, without, you know, without the without the benefit of performance-enhancing drugs, you're just not going to see uh, guys naturally getting better at that point in their careers. Now, that being said, you know, I don't want to talk about Mike Trout like he's a scrub or something. No, like, again, no. This is another guy who was the best baseball player on the planet not too long ago and still is, is up there with and the rest of And who could retire now? And yeah. be a Hall of Famer instantly. Correct. So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, oh, oh, last question. What's more likely that from those that trio I gave you, the Angels, Shohei Otani, and Mike Trout, what's more likely that more than one of them wins a World Series in the next ten years, or that none of them do? None of them. Yeah, it's none of them. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. That's a shame, but that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, well, fortunately, we live here on the East Coast, where we're far, far from the danger the Angels create in baseball, just by just by existing. Uh, and over here, the Phillies took on the Giants for three games over the weekend, and boy, not over the weekend, <laughs> this week. I know what day it is. Yep. Uh, the Phillies played the Giants for three games. 
over three days. That part we know is true. Yes, we do. Uh, and the Phillies took almost three out of three games against the Giants at home. A, <laughs> so close. <laughs> a net gain in the wild card standings. And also the vibes department, I'll say. And yes, they dropped game three stupidly, but the goofy never-say-die Phillies uh, from games one and two of the series were still in there in game three. You could still see them. So that's why I'm not worried. I was not particularly destroyed by that loss because that's, that's what I get worried. It was annoying, but th- I get worried when the overall output, effort, or momentum of the team looks to be depleted. That's when I get mad. That's when I get frustrated and concerned. That's when I get nihilistic as some people do about the Phillies. Not after they win two thrilling games against a team they really wanted to beat and almost did the same in Game 3. I saw people kicking rocks after that loss, and while frustrating because you always want them to win rather than lose, and it looks like they were... Man, it really looked like they were going to win that win It win really that did, and that's... I mean, that's, I think, what people are feeling. Yeah. Instead of looking at the silver lining of, they've really been in a lot of games. Like, the, they did end up losing two of three to the nationals but the they lost by a combined two runs like it's they're really close you know and we believe now that they could come back at any moment it's how long has it been since we've believed that about the phillies not last year's phillies did this it's been probably since 2010 yeah, it's at least like they, where they could lose a series late in the season and you would still feel good about them. You mean? Well, no, that you believe that if they're down, there really is a chance they could come back at any minute. Yeah. Like the last couple of series, the last few weeks have really proven that because they've had a lot of and over the season, they've had a lot of comeback wins. Right. That's what I've been saying. That That's kind of how you have to watch this team. You have to know that, look, they have, I think, after this series, they have had comeback wins at, in at least half of their wins if not like one over the line they might it might be more than half which is up there it's certainly more than the Braves this you know, Phillies like. season is, this Phillies season is gonna kill a lot of people yeah and it has already like more than last season more than any of the bad seasons this one's uh this one's a tough one the rotation which was at one point dominant is now a little flakier you know they're a little more tired they 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 had Taiwan Walker start after 9 days of rest just to give him some extra rest and he still looked kind of shaky out there so you know you got to know that if the Phillies go down 3 4 runs early that's you know that's pretty normal that's pretty regular you got to just let's just start with that being the case in our heads when the game begins just assume they're down 4 runs and then they're going to put something together somewhere between like the sixth seventh inning they'll start getting runners on base and sometimes you know it takes a little they got to build up some momentum but then they start scoring runs in like the seventh and eighth innings and like that's how this team plays now that's how this team wins games and they've forced you to adjust a few times you know you started the season thinking we're going to see a ton of home runs by the end of may you were thinking okay this is now like a pitching and defense team except without the defense and then you were like okay this is like a team that has a great bullpen and a solid rotation and scores sometimes and now they're like this is a team whose pitching gives up a couple runs and then their offense bails them out at the end you gotta just be able to address like that they have gone through different eras this season and i think we're just in the middle of a new one here and, and you definitely saw that on display fortunately in game one we got one of those games where they were just kind of winning Pretty quick. I, you know, we got it. Bryce Harper inside the park home run. We got a <laughs> Johan Rojas triple. Six Phillies had multi-hit games in game one. Edmundo Sosa had a triple and a homer. And Gabe Kapler's fun little bullpen chess game got kicked off the table by the Phillies' bats. It was great to watch. It was very satisfying. 
Aaron Nola did what he does and put the Phillies in a hole early, but they climbed right out of it. Nola went seven innings. Again, this is one of those starts I was just talking to you and John about where, you know, everyone was was in their cups early on about Aaron Nola. And it was, oh, man, including me, where it was like, oh, here comes Aaron Nola. He's giving up hits. He's giving up runs. It sucks. And then you look around, and it's the seventh inning, and he's only given up two runs. I mean, that's that's not a devastating deficit, everybody. Like, that's that's beatable. And the Phillies, they used that to win. You know, he he limited the offense and went seven innings. That's what a starter is supposed to do. It was a good Aaron Nola start. It looked shaky at first. It was solid. That's why it wasn't a great start. And why it was that's why I'm not saying he's he's back, folks. He's an ace again. He's no, not. It's don't. it's too late for that. We'll it's never say that. that again. That's yeah, never this, at, at least not this just. season. Yeah. At least not while he's still on the Phillies. That's not going that's <laughs> that that label is is off the table. Uh but this was a version of the game everyone's got to be pretty used to by now. I mean, I'd say game 1 was obviously the most fun. Uh, the end of game two was probably more fun, but how, how are you? How are you feeling after game one? They really, uh, they really knocked uh, Gabe Kapler on his butt and uh, showed the Giants like, hey, look, you know, yeah, we just lost a series to the worst team in the National League East, but we can still beat anybody in the wild card race. It felt really good, especially since they were down early. They climbed out and tied it, and then just went nuts. They just mm-hmm. poured it on. There was like the Philly Phillies, the Giants couldn't get out and they just had to leave a guy in there. Like they did that twice where they just left a dude in to wear it. Just had to wear it, which is really tough. I hate seeing that because it's so demoralizing. But at the same time, I was pretty happy. <laughs> it was really oh, yeah. wonderful to see uh, Kapler get slapped around like that. It's great to see a game like that right now, and it was great to see them. You know, this Giants series is big, and it has nothing to do with who's managing the Giants, and it had everything to do with the wild card race. Whereas, a lot of the teams have fallen away in the wild card race. The Giants are also struggling, and they were struggling by the time they came into Philadelphia, but they were still considered pretty close competition. It was an opportunity for the Phillies to really put some distance between themselves and their competition in the uh, wild card race. And they haven't always been successful at doing that. We were talking about how they really had a soft underbelly of the schedule to tear into before this Giants series, and they didn't really take advantage of it. So now they got to beat teams that are, you know, in the playoff race with them, and beating the Giants was a, was a big step there. And even just taking two out of three here was going to be a success, which is exactly what they did in Game 2. The Giants said, well, it's really hard to win when you only score four runs, and the Phillies said, check this out. In what is a developing trend, Bryce Harper homered so the Phillies could come back from a one to nothing deficit and then a three to one deficit. So they came back twice. I don't know if that counts twice as uh, comeback wins, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It was Trey Turner's liner off Giants reliever Camilo Duval that won them the game in the ninth. And this time it was Taiwan Walker who got the Phillies in trouble again after nine days of rest just to give him a break. He went only five innings, allowed six hits and three runs, two walks and struck out seven. Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado, Gregory Soto, and Craig Kimbrell allowed two hits and two walks combined in the last four innings. So bullpen came through there, and the Phillies won a close four to three game. I mean that was uh, that that was also satisfying, but just in a different way. It was also correct me if I'm wrong. The invention of the Bryce Harper stand up and you know do the arm just shrug thing after scoring, which I think he did again in game three after the home run. And Best is that thing a thing? Now. It's, it's so a thing now. <laughs> it's boy, is it gifable? It's, I, I mean, we should all be grateful. We should all be grateful. Like what a what a gift, what a joy, what a treat. 
<laughs> really? Just like to see, like I was watching that, and I'm just like, this is happening. He's gonna do it. And then he did, and he just stood up and shrugged. I'm like, this is unreal. This is not. This is not happening. I mean, in game three, he hit a game tying three run home run. Oh. It was ultimately a loss. But when he was up to the plate, I was as sure he was going to hit a home run in that spot as I was in the NLCS when he came up with the, you know, with the runner on base and hit another home run to deliver the pennant for them. So I said to my husband, I bet he hits a home run here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looked at me like, I don't know. And then he did. I'm like, I did not for one second believe that when I said it. <laughs> and then it just happened. I'm like, yes. Let's uh, let's jump through game three here because I do want to talk about Bryce Harper. In game three, Wilmer Flores touched torched the Phillies early with a homer and an RBI single. Newest Giant Paul DeYoung hit a two-run homer to put the Giants up four to nothing. Then Harper and Trey Turner homered back to back to have the deficit. Then it was five to two in the ninth when Harper came up and does what he does, hit that three-run homer to tie the game. A line drive off the right field foul pole. Uh, but with the winning run on third and two outs, JT Real Muto struck out. The Giants were able to stack up some base runners with no outs on Craig Kimbrell and brought in three runs that the Phillies could answer only with a Kyle Schwarber solo shot and wound up losing 8-6. to six. But, like I said, didn't really shake my vibes too much after my initial disappointment. And part of that is because Bryce Harper, who we've spent, you know, maybe t- the last two weeks saying like, mm, is he back? Is he getting close to back? Is he back? Todd Zalecki wrote, Harper's game-tying three-run homer in Game 3 was his third homer in his past three games and his fifth in his past seven. Harper is batting 345, 20 for 58, with five doubles, seven homers, 15 RBI, and a 1228 OPS in his past 16 contests. Liz, we spent most of this season waiting for the Phillies' big bats to really start coming through. And some guys, you know, Came back and went away after a short time. Some guys figured something out and, you know, have been here. Some guys, you know, Nick Castellanos has obviously been a big contributor for a lot of the season. Trey Turner has obviously turned things on in the past couple weeks and been playing more like himself. Uh, but really, there's there, you, you can you can tap all the bats turn on or you can just get Bryce Harper bat, back and have one bat turn on. And it really does feel like <laughs> that makes more difference than the rest of them collectively. Yes, that is true. Him, I mean, I've said it a few times. He's he's right on schedule for his strength to come back in his arm. And so we're just going to see a lot of this. We're going to see a lot of Bryce Harper homering left and right. And this is the best time in the world for it to happen. He's got like the highest batting average on the team right That's now. scary. Which yeah. is, I mean, and he's got like, I think like 120-ish fewer at-bats than like Castellanos or something Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's you know not insignificant but like he also has the highest on base percentage on the team my god like he's he's just he's a stud still like He's Bryce Harper. It's, it's Bryce why Harper. You, you just kind of started smiling to yourself when you heard fans chanting overrated. It's like people just don't know what the word means or nope. the, you know, they, they just don't want the player to be as good as he is. And in this case, you know, Bryce Harper's a lot of things, but one of them, the biggest one he is, is a ball player. And boy, is he a good ball player. Boy, is he a guy oh you goodness. want to have on your roster. Boy, is he a guy you want to, your ownership to be willing to pay for. And boy, is he a guy you want to come up with the game on the line and runners on base. I mean, 
he, 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 even his outs are hard hit at this yep. point. He was shooting line drives up the middle that they were shifting for and, and you know, being able to, to, to catch, preventing him from getting base hits and everything. But still, even then, you know, yeah, he might come up and put three violent swings through a couple of moving breaking pitches that he can't touch and, you know, that's it. But he'll also, like, you know, the pitchers are also afraid of him and, and they'll walk him. I mean, he is just – he is, he really used this series, I think, to, to – sort of announced that he is back. I mean, in these three games, he had three home runs, like we said. He he scored three runs. He knocked in seven runs. Uh, he hit 500 <laughs> for the series. Uh, his slugging percentage for, for these three games, this is fun with sh- small sample sizes, but his slugging percentage for th- these past three games against the Giants, 1250. <laughs> Lord. You, know who was, you know who was second? Edmundo Sosa <laughs> with an 11-11 slugging percentage. <laughs> oh, Edmundo, good for you. Yeah. He had a home run in this series. He knocked in three runs. Kyle Schwarber had two home runs in this series, uh, even though, you know, his numbers remain pretty much what they were before. Woeful. But he did slug 900 in this series against the Giants, which is, hey, that's that's Crazy. what you want. Uh, Boehm and Turner also homered, and the Phillies maintained their lead for the month of August for the most home runs in all of baseball. They now have 43 in the month of August. I will point out again that in the month of May, they had 10 fewer than that totally. Wow. August, August is a 24th. great month, guys. <laughs> See, you Still wanna, a week left. <laughs> you want to know how I knew Bryce Harper was back? Because at various points during Wednesday's game, he was staring daggers at everyone who screwed up. <laughs> Anyone who screwed up or who, you know, recorded an out and when they should have been on base, he was furious. You want to know how many, how many men were left on base uh, in the Phillies T- loss in game three? Tell us. Twelve. That's too many. That's too <laughs> many. Because they could have really, really kicked the stuffing out of them. Like, multiple times they could have kicked the stuffing out of them. And I don't know. And it's frustrating that they didn't. Uh, but it's also encouraging because they are continuing to get on base. And but score abso- runs and stuff. You're absolutely right. There were multiple missed opportunities really in that game. I want to say at least three times the Phillies had a chance to open the scoring. And, yeah, they just they couldn't get the hit they needed. Uh, but, I mean, again, if you wanted to look at that in a positive light, it's that they still found a way to score and make the game close. Yes, if they had used even one of those early scoring opportunities, then the scoring they did near the end of the game would have won it for them. Yes, obviously. Uh, but that being said, they still they still came back. I mean, we've seen a lot of versions of this offense where, like, well, that was our one shot. Let's pack it in for the day, I guess. No, they, they kept coming back, and they, and they still had the energy and the momentum and the and um, the uh, the production to be able to put threats together. Obviously, you want to see them be able to capitalize on those threats, and, and that's something that's been frustrating about this team all season long. But I would also say that there's not an aspect of this team that hasn't at one point been frustrating <laughs> at, at various points throughout this season. So, in a way... You know, it, it's it's just another it's just another angle of uh, of their frustrations uh, throughout the year because they, they they are they have been a all they are is like not dominant. They're a winning team that isn't a dominant team. They're not going to win every game. They're not going to ambush you in the first inning like the Braves. Uh, they're not going to annihilate you like the Dodgers can. I mean, they they are a team that 
can beat you with their bats or might use their pitching. And at some nights, it won't be enough. This is a team that, but this is a team that can win a best of three series and a best of five series. It it really is. They're keeping themselves in a position to win. And part of that is going to be Bryce Harper moving forward. That is a huge development. Uh, as, as if he is as comfortable as he looks at the plate, that is a huge development for this team. The other one is Trey Turner, who we know has uh, has has resurfaced as an offensive threat. And I mean, just think of that. Like, think of that with this offense getting Harper and Turner back to their regular selves, their regular elite level offensive production selves. That alone is going to keep you and win you more games than the Phillies probably have been winning because those two guys have largely not been present, whether through health issues or giant slumps. They just, you know, they have not been the versions of themselves that, that you were looking forward to see together. And it looks like, man, it looks like they finally might be. As MLB.com wrote, Trey Turner is batting 353. Uh, 24 for 68 with six doubles and four homers and 14 RBI and a 1007 OPS in 17 games since August 4th when he got the standing ovation against the Royals. <laughs> his wa- his walk off hit Tuesday helped the Phillies build a three and a half game lead over the Cubs for the number one National League wild spot with 36 games to play and a four game lead over the D-backs for the third wild card spot. Liz, well, I'll, fr- I'll frame it this way. Last year in June, Ken Rosenthal wrote that the Phillies weren't going to solve any of their problems by firing Joe Girardi. They fired Joe Girardi and instantly became better. This year, he called Philly fans his dork of the week for giving a standing ovation for Trey Turner instead of, I guess, throwing stuff at him. So embarrassing, dork of the week. Just... Which he claims <laughs> I've given him more promotion for this than his own show did. By the way, I'm like oh, I just won't talk yeah, about you it. You really then. are angry. <laughs> like, like just... no, I think it's funny. I think it's funny. I really do. I'm First not of all, angry. I, I love. Don't say on the internet that I was don't angry. put in the don't put in the paper. I got mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really not. I think, <laughs> hey, it's funny. It's funny it's that funny. he said it. It's funny that nobody really picked up on it. It's funny that he included in the write-up a story about people throwing rocks and bottles at his car when he showed up for an Eagles game with a New York license plate, I think. Like, yeah, sure, man. That, did I'm that sure happen? That Probably, yeah. Like, what do you want? Uh, and he used that to claim that, like, oh, Philly fans are soft because they're clapping for a player. And once again... Not even just like, yeah, and in time, it turned out Ken Rosenthal wasn't correct. No, it was, no, immediately Ken Rosenthal was proven wrong. I think it's time to just stop weighing in on, on what's going to fix the Phillies, Ken, because I don't <laughs> think you have your finger on the pulse here. We can't, whenever Ken writes about the Phillies, it's like Sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes just over <laughs> and over and over like he just every time he tries to do it again, he just gets you know his own fist in his face, and like he should stop trying, but he won't. He won't no. because he everyone knows that it used to be the easiest bet in the world to uh, to count on Philly fans to get you engagement, but we have grown up as Except a fan me. base, everyone. Except for me, I of course will uh, <laughs> apparently keep. You know, continuing to talk about this, uh, but it is I'm just I noticed a pattern and it is very funny to me that this pattern has been that this that this particular pattern has taken place here. And it's undeniable. I mean, he's batting 353 since the standing ovation. Even I was standing there like I mean, I gave, I'll, I'll give you the, the Girardi thing was like, yeah, firing the manager won't solve every problem. But there's nothing that will solve every there's no one thing that solves every problem. And then it turns out 
apparently there was. And in this case, I would give you, yeah, I think I even said, there's not going to be a magical cloud of pixie dust generated from the applause that goes down into his bat and turns him into a, a better hitter. It's just, you know, a nice thing to do, and it's something different to try at this late in the season. And even, even, th- I, I was wrong again. <laughs> like, even, even with that little bit of leeway, I was like, nope, he's immediately better. We're happy fine. to be wrong. <laughs> we are happy to be wrong. We are, always. Yeah. So with Harper and Turner in the in the lineup and producing at a level you uh, you you wanted to see them play at and that they were expected to play at, Liz, do you feel like in this ever fluid Phillies team whose strengths seem to shift month to month, is this finally the offense's turn to be at the forefront of the Philadelphia Phillies? It certainly seems like it. I mean, of course, now the weather's about to change, but um, hopefully that won't really affect anything. But it really does seem like the offense is picking up steam at like a very important time for them to be picking up steam. You know, like it's nice that we don't like Bryce Harper is here to be the Ryan Howard and put the entire team on his back, but he doesn't have to be. He shouldn't have to be. And at this point, it looks like he won't have to be because there are other people who are beside him helping to carry the load, which is good. Like Bryson Stott still on fire. You cannot keep this kid off the diamond. You can't. Yeah. I was going to say as, and you've also got the quiet engine of the Phillies, younger guys uh, just continuously producing as well. I know John Stolness gushed over Brandon Marsh's big uh, two strike single that basically won them that game the other night. And you know, that's totally, totally correct. Marsh, Stott and Bohm, they've helped keep this offense alive. Even when no one else was hitting, those guys were kind of quietly producing in the way that they do, which is not a lot of power, but it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of good approaches. It's a lot of swinging at strikes that are not outside of the zone, uh, which was a huge, it's a huge part of Brandon Marsh's leap forward this year is that he is swinging at fewer pitches out of the zone. Uh, just, you know, awesome. Just awesome to see. And if that continues along with these high-level guys finally producing, yeah, I think... I think we could see the version of the Phillies that, to this point, would be unrecognizable. So, it's very exciting. Very good series, despite the loss in Game 3. Productive. Got what they... Did what they wanted to do and won. Put a little more space between themselves and other wildcard teams. And now it's on to play the Cardinals, who are one of the worst teams in baseball this year. Hopefully they can, you know, make up... They can they can take advantage of this in the way they did not against the Nationals. Uh, so... I'm hoping for a pantsing. Hoping for a real pantsing. Yep. Yeah, against the Cardinals, absolutely. Well, have you heard the news, Liz? Have I? What news, Justin? Wow, this is like we, we're doing a scripted ad. But folks, this is all improvised, <laughs> if you can believe that. All totally, totally off the top of our heads. Uh, the hot new trend in baseball, it's called leaving. No, it's not called leaving. It's called threatening to leave. <laughs> Threatening to leave. On Tuesday, it was reported by the Chicago Tribune that the White Sox are now those mighty, mighty, well-respected, <laughs> widely appreciated Chicago White Sox are now considering a move from Chicago's south side when their lease at Guaranteed Rate Field is up in like six years, I believe. Uh, they are the fifth MLB team to threaten to move this season, along with the Oakland Athletics, Tampa Bay Rays, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Milwaukee Brewers. When I was younger, the idea of a team moving was kind of scary to me for some reason. I mean, a lot of things were scary to me. Uh, but to just up and leave like that, 
for whatever reason. Just dump all the fans, leave behind a huge, expensive facility that the public almost assuredly paid for in some capacity. Rip away all these years and memories. I mean, maybe it's because I was raised by a Baltimore Colts fan, but it always just seemed so sinister and final. Yeah. Like, it does seem... Like, you think of the the Rams leaving St. Louis. That was like, like wrenching a team away. Like, every time that happens, it's, like, deeply upsetting and it doesn't actually despite the nfl doing it uh a lot it does not happen seldom it doesn't happen a lot in baseball it really doesn't um and the a's doing it is like the the result of a decades-long campaign to make it happen Mm -hmm. and And yeah their owner gave a rare interview the other day yeah he came out of whatever billionaire cave that he lives in showed his face and, and said some stupid words if this guy said, he said in one interview, in the same interview, that the team has left roughly $40 million this year, yet he has not considered selling it. That should tell you that he's not telling the whole story. Because if you're losing that much money, you sell the team because you're literally hemorrhaging cash. You don't keep, you don't continue to to retain it. The fact that he's continuing to own this team should tell everyone all they need to know that everything he says is lies all made up. Maybe we can get John Angelos to convict, to convince John Fisher to show us his books, you know, since he's such an advocate for that. John Angelos, my Lord. <laughs> Let's not, we will, if we go down no, to John Angelos, we can't, path, if we go we back down this road, you and I will we'll never spend, come back. No, we'll, we'll be here forever. What a dummy. All right, now with five different teams uh, threatening to leave their cities in such close proximity, now it feels less threatening and sinister. It feels more like uncreative billionaires all following the same evil playbook that they pass around, like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Uh, don't Don't get me wrong. I don't doubt a billionaire will do something cruel and stupid because a lackey of theirs pointed at a chart and said, numbers go up if this. But as R.J. Anderson of Baseball Prospectus pointed out, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf actually said in (laughs) Cigar Aficionado magazine of all outlets that he used uh, he used this as a as a means to acquire leverage threatening to leave Chicago 30 years ago to get a new stadium. And by doing so, you know, he got that leverage and he's which is something he said savvy businessmen do and he got it and the white Sox had a new stadium to open 1991 so he pretty much just showed his books to an extent as far as like how this works and now with five different cities being like i don't know maybe we'll just maybe we'll go and even i hate to say it but even angelos refusing to sign the lease and commit to signing a lease in baltimore you know this is clearly something that's that's very trendy among billionaire owners at this point and, uh, yeah, it, it kind of waters down the threat, even though the athletics are clearly coming through with it. And it does make you wonder, you know, you, you look to your own team. If you're fortunate enough to not be following one of the teams that's you know threatening to do that, uh, it makes you look at your own team like we look at the Phillies. And the Phillies have threatened to leave Philadelphia before. The Phillies have uh, in, in a couple of capacities, in, in, either just by moving the stadium or moving the franchise entirely. In 1959, and this is from an episode of The Dirty Inning, which is a Phillies history podcast uh, that covers the funniest, dumbest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history, which you can access at patreon.com slash season. There uh, should also Janu- be episodes available on this feed in the past. Oh, yes. Yeah. And this feed in the past as well. Uh, in January 1959, a senator from New Jersey submitted a bill to, quote, get the ball rolling to bring the Phillies to Camden County. 
by dangling a new ultra-modern $8 million stadium in Delaware Township. They were even targeting the 1961 season for opening day. One little bill, and they'd have an improvement and development board. One little signature from the governor, and that seven-member board would be able to select a five-member stadium authority. And then look out! That authority would be given autonomy to operate on its own, at which point it will begin to issue self-liquidating bonds, which are, of course, supported by county credit. Now, years of construction and development would follow with the Phillies being convinced to sign a long-term lease, and then BAM! We're eating South Jersey wieners on opening day 1961. In response to these rumors, Robert Carpenter of the Phillies said, uh, we really don't have a position on this. Uh, <laughs> let, let us know. Let us know if the situation how this develops. Goes and we'll, uh, we'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, let us know we'll if this becomes <laughs> like a real thing. But uh, until then, thanks, I guess. Uh, though Phillies veteran Willie Jones, who'd played for the team for 12 years at this point, did tell a bunch of little leaguers that he hoped the Phillies did move to Camden. That, that seemed like a nice idea to him. Um, Why? Didn't happen. Didn't happen, obviously. In 1964, it was reported the rumors of a possible Phillies move started after the mayor of Atlanta said recently that he had a verbal commitment from a major league team to move to Atlanta if a stadium is ready by next year. One report said the team would be the Braves. One report said it would be the Phillies. Oh, so it was just, jo- it was never the Phillies then. <laughs> <laughs> but John Quinn, Phillies GM, said... There is absolutely nothing to the report on a Phillies move. So he kind of busted that. If that was somebody's like little scheme, uh, then he, yeah, he kind of popped that bubble in a hurry. 1964 also saw rumors of the Phillies moving to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It had just come out that federal funds would not be available for the proposed $25 million Phillies Eagles stadium. So Ruley Carpenter's purchase of 62 acres in South Jersey got word buzzing. But... Once contacted, the Phillies treasurer told reporters that Carpenter had just wanted the land to build an industrial park. Uh, in 1998, the Reading Phillies threatened to move at one point. <laughs> Didn't know they could do that. Um, but yeah, that was also on the table at one point. And speaking of new stadiums, I found a comment from a guy in 1999 at a meeting about the Phillies' potential new stadium going in at Broad and Spring Garden who said that ballparks are like factories that emit toxic waste, but in this case, the toxic waste was Phillies fans. Which <laughs> 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 I was like, <laughs> fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, of these stories, the 1964 one is really the only one that aligns with what we're what current, current owners are trying to do. Uh, then we're talking about the Phillies moving entirely from Philadelphia to a different place, having to clearly change their name because they could not be the Atlanta Phillies. Uh, And the Phillies would have wanted a better ballpark, gotten an offer from another city, left their loyal fans behind after more than 80 years and, you know, three good teams, let's say. Uh, And they would have changed their name and become a different team. And then, you know, we don't have to do, we don't have, we don't have to, we don't have the Phillies and we don't have to, you know, do three podcasts a week. But that's the closest it seems like we've got to the Phillies really like not being a thing in Philadelphia. And that's what we're, talking about in these other places so the question becomes does john middleton know better than to try this kind of stuff with us well since he's been lo- i mean yes first off but <laughs> since he's been sort of in charge and like a, a like a real vocal part of the ownership group the there's been no reason to move the team is fine like they're locked into a lease they have the naming rights all set like it's all there's no reason to go anywhere and especially since uh, they're going to have the, uh, what is it, the the All-Star game there in 2026. Like, this is like a, a perfect marriage somehow <laughs> uh, between, you know, John Middleton, Jeff Lurie, and the city. 
they've made like they're not they're not ruffling feathers like that idiot Josh Harris who was like let's let's crush Chinatown for my stupid for my my stupid venue for my stupid stupid basketball team. Okay, you said his name, so we have to mention his handshake with Joe Buck. <laughs> <laughs> what During... was that? Oh, uh, if anyone missed it, I mean, do yourself a favor and just Google it and watch it. Um, but if you didn't, if you don't. You know, if you don't have access to a monitor of any kind, uh, yeah, basically, Jill Buck was was making like hand gestures in the booth while standing next to Josh Harris, who is a new owner of the Washington Commanders, his third sports franchise. Pretty cool. I'm Ooh, sure he cares man. about them all equally. Um, but uh, yeah, because Buck was making these uh, gesticulations with his hands. Harris, for some reason, read one of them to be him extending his hand for a handshake, reached out, grabbed his hand, clearly realized that it was not a handshake, immediately released Joe Buck's hand, and also had just come in at an angle that isn't a handshake, more of a hand grab from the top, I want to say. And I don't know, folks, the reason it got talked about is because it's the most heinously cringe thing you've ever seen in your life. Like, you might break your spine it's watching so it. so bad. Try, try not. Yeah, it's so go bad. in go in easy but this is the kind of you know i'm definitely a human being here's my hand (laughs) in any case yeah middleton can you imagine like i again he is not in a place to be doing this the phillies are doing well people are the phillies have the largest leap in attendance from last year to this year among any major league baseball team and i think it's been proven time and time again that when people don't come to phillies games it's because the phillies suck that's when people don't want to go to Phillies games. When the Phillies are good, yeah, everybody wants to be there. It's a sport in Philadelphia. When they're doing well, people want to see. People want to go. People want to be a part of it. This isn't news, and yet it feels like it needs to be relearned every generation. Yeah. Fortunately, we're in a current point in this generation and with the owner of the team where that seems to be, yes, that seems to be the case. Obviously, his actions are dictated by numbers. Our actions are dictated by feelings. And that eventually and inevitably puts you at odds. That being said, he has done and said the right things for the better part of a calendar year now. And, well, over that. Probably the better part of two years at this point. And that's a nice thing to not have to open every show talking about what the owner said or did. We used to have to do that. We don't We don't have to do that these days. That's really great. So the Phillies just aren't in a position for that to happen. But that being said, can you imagine? You mentioned the 2026 All-Star game. I hadn't thought about that. That really means in a lot of ways they, they can't leave, even if they wanted to before then. Uh, but that being said, can you imagine him openly campaigning to move the team before that? You know, just disgracing david montgomery's legacy that that like that all-star game was for him they announced it so far in advance for him like that (laughs) that that would be such a a devastating and uh and spineless move i mean good lord yeah uh but yeah we just fortunately live in a place where that you know they are deeply ingrained in the culture here even if they're bad you know this is still capable of being a baseball town when the baseball team's good there's one of the oldest one one name one city teams in all baseball yeah. You know, their their name is the Phillies. You can't move that team to somewhere else unless it's being like the only way that th- that would ever happen is if John Middleton divested and someone else bought the team specifically to move it somewhere else. And that's just not happening. Like, so right. Middleton knows he has no leverage in that way. And he's done a great job keeping the stadium modernized new board. Like we've seen the installation of a couple of different video boards over the past decade you know, the seat, like, there, there isn't really part of it that's, like, broken down. Everything is, still looks like new. 
Like he it's, conducts it's in, uh, every he conducts inspections every night by yeah. walking around the upper concourse and letting people say, "Hey, it's John Middleton." <laughs> what we don't see is him with a with a magnifying glass, like bending over, <laughs> you know, like bending back, looking up at like, are there any cracks in this concrete? What about the vacuuming screws? Up, are the screws on va- these seats all, all secure? <laughs> vacuuming up green fanatic hair that like collects in the corners with a dustbuster. Yeah, like, oh, excuse me, he, like ducks away from taking a picture. Like, excuse me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future, but like there's no reason, there's nowhere for him to put a new stadium. And I think he realizes that he won't have to deal with that in his lifetime. He'll be dead by the time the Phillies have to it, even need to think about another stadium. And so like there's there's the <laughs> they're not going to demand a new stadium because of that because there's also nowhere to put it. <laughs> and there's no way, like, the Phillies are just so, as you say, ingrained in Philadelphia. He has no leverage. And so I, I applaud him for making the best of a situation that's very, very obviously um, sort of tipped towards the city and the fans in a way that it isn't in places like Chicago, which has had such an up and down, mostly down, mostly very, very down and bad um team like he's got he's pretending he has leverage but who's gonna stop them from going like there are a lot of fans there i'm not not saying there aren't dedicated fans but i think a lot of people are tired like what what have they done to deserve any of that yeah oh very much so and i mean like that's that's the i think when i mentioned this being a scary concept to me as a kid it was sort of because of that because at the end of the day you are powerless to what like this one guy, this one group of people wants to do with the team. And the fact that you cared so much and invested so much doesn't matter at all. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I hesitate to say things like, oh, when I said, oh, they ripped the memories away. They don't really do that. Like, yeah, you get to keep your memories. But, you know, they, they were saying on an A's uh, postgame broadcast earlier this year when when um, at, the, at the height of A's moving discourse that, you know, an, an A's hat is going to be like an antiquated thing in a couple of years. An Oakland A's hat. Like it's going to be, that's a defunct, obsolete team that's that used to be. You know, that's a Seattle Pilots, which, yes, we're only one year. But still, that's they are in, they're in the same category. And that is, yeah, that, that's going to be devastating for a lot of people. As the A's fans proved, you know, same. I'm saying, oh, oh when people don't go to Phillies games, it's because the team isn't good. A's fans proved that by organizing it. Hey, let's go out to the park tonight. They all went out to the park. Yeah, I don't know. Was it literally a sellout? If it wasn't, it was close. And they were like, look, we know how to get to the stadium. We want to come to the stadium. Put a product on the field that's watchable, and we'll come out. And he was like, ah, there's nothing that can be done. Oh, well. Vegas ho. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, just to back to our original point, in an age where five different teams can start muttering about moving to a different city because they're not getting what they want, or as uh, Dave Zirin from Edge of Sports put it, uh, the threat of public seizure and ownership of sports teams is the only solution to franchise owners ransoming cities, threatening departure and return for tax dollars. That's a great uh, idea. Oh, it's such yeah. a good idea. I mean, like, where, where, where does this put you as a baseball fan? As you're watching this happen, and yes, we are fortunate enough to not be one of the teams that it's that it's currently happening to. But like, where does this put your head as a baseball fan? It makes me sad. I mean, uh, one thing that's clear to me is that none of these teams are moving anywhere. None of them are going. Well, well, the A's are moving. The A's are moving, but out of the other teams that have threatened to move, that have uh, just said that they're you're like, we might move. Like, where are the Brewers going? 
Yeah, and I mean, look what Reinsdorf is literally on the record saying. Like, oh yeah, when I say this, it's a lie. It's the only. It's the only <laughs> way. Like, as a baseball fan, it does make me sad because, like, team, like fans have no power over this, but they just sort of have to have faith that in baseball, teams moving is a rare thing. It's a rare thing. Like baseball stadiums are different. <laughs> that's a whole different can of worms. But like the team in the city, that's it's pretty solid these days. Like. I think Manfred would sooner well, he's been eyeing expansion for a long time, but he's I think he's really reluctant to encourage like a team to to suck and then try and move there like to a new to a new city because every city doesn't want to be like most cities want to have their own new team. Which is why everyone is pretty sure that this idea with the A's isn't going to work out well because they're just interlopers. They're not of Vegas. They're they came to Vegas. They did. They weren't. They weren't like the uh, what is it? The Vegas um, Golden Knights, who are born of Vegas, right? Yeah. That I mean, that's the, as far as like um, oh, uh, a new team getting adopted by a city or just an expansion in general. I mean, I don't think baseball necessarily needs expansion. I'm sure the commissioner's office would disagree with me. Um, but that being said, yeah, it is, it does feel just like better to like, oh, okay, baseball is just expanding. Like at the end of the day, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's enough good starting pitchers to spread out among 30 teams, let alone 32. But that being said, it is always still fun to just see a new team pop up, establish their own culture, their own tradition, you know, their first really good team, unless you're talking about the nationals, like they are a very, it is a very fun thing to, to happen. And especially in a city where, where there hasn't been a team before. And when you hear things like, oh, the places like Nashville and Portland and Charlotte and Snore. Vancouver and Montreal. And I mean, even somebody mentioned a couple of years ago, somebody mentioned Mexico city. I was like, wow, what a cool idea, man. That would be nice. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, these are places where like maybe all, maybe all four of these five of these teams threatening to move, they'll all just move to Nashville together. <laughs> or they'll turn one of these teams with no teams, one of these towns with no teams into a two team city immediately. It just like completely overwhelmed people. Um, but yeah, in general, it's just, it, it, it really gets watered down as a threat when everybody's doing it. And one of them is already on record saying like, yeah, this is just a leverage move. It's what I, a savvy businessman would do. And you know what else a savvy businessman would do is just tell you that, uh, on, you know, in the, in, in, in a magazine, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's very savvy of me as well. Yeah. And I, um, cities are getting less tolerant of this. So these are getting less and less tolerant. We it's it happened in Arizona not too long ago. Like more and more people are pushing for these things to become ballot measures, and so the the citizens themselves can actually have a say instead of their elected representatives doing whatever they want, which is ends up being how it happens. You know, that, I mean, for me, that would the people should decide. And if a if a team if a team owner wants to leave, like you know what, the city can buy exactly. Just what Dave Zirin said, the city will take over your team. You know? Yeah. It will now be owned by the city and be a public trust. Mm-hmm. Like, that's you what you get. You want, this is because city, like, teams and cities are essentially public trusts in a lot in a lot of ways. They just don't act like it. Right. And it would allow it to, to the dynamic to be like, oh, if you don't want to be here, no one cares if you leave the city. But it's, it's the fact that you're taking a team with you when you leave. If you're not interested, that's why sell the team is the chant. It's like, well, if you're not, if you say, well, we don't have the money to do this, like John Angelos keeps saying, 
then you're not good at being an owner and you should just sell the team to somebody who can make them better. But that's what the, you know, the big secret here is that most owners aren't interested in making their team better. They're interested in profiting from it. When you say, well, a better team would be easier to profit from. Well, maybe, but look at the Rays. We'll just become the Rays and just have a steady churn of young, cheap players who keep us good enough that people can't complain that we're bad. And if that doesn't work, We'll just threaten to leave. You know, we'll take it from the Reinsdorf style. We'll just threaten to leave the city. Well, before we wrap up here, I did want to get to one more thing. Um, it was announced this week that their MLB Major League Baseball was introducing the Commissioner's Ambassador Program. Now, normally this is a tweet you'd scroll right by, but Liz and I wanted to talk about it because it's being led by both Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins. Yeah. And according to the official Major League Baseball Twitter account, uh, it is made up of 12 highly accomplished former players who will rep- participate in MLB programs, represent the game at MLB events, and support the league's international growth. MLB Together, communi- community activations, and its baseball and softball development programs. So all the stuff, all the reach out, all the outreach that, um, that Major League Baseball does, it seems like these are the guys who are going to be involved with it. And yeah, Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins are leading the charge. Shane Victorino is also part of this group, inexplicably posted with his Boston hat instead of his Phillies hat. But I will say one in this in the like the official release, but like in their T in the picture of all of them together, he is wearing his Phillies thing. It just seems like they want to make it make it look like they didn't all they didn't just invite their friends, but they honestly just invited their friends. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be funny if they they put Howard in like a Braves hat. Oh, my (laughs) God. Oh, you know. Framers Brave Ryan Howard. Uh, but yeah, Victor, and when Victorino tweeted about it from his personal account, he I think there are there were two pictures of him in his Phillies gear. So he made up for that. Uh, also there are Michael Board is involved, former mm-hmm. Philly, and uh, Jeremy Guthrie, whose career was ended by the Phillies. <laughs> that was my first and, thought. But that's the only oh, thing I think when I see him. Poor Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy Guthrie. See, they're <laughs> helping him. They're, they're, they're paying it forward. <laughs> They're trying to help a, a man. Like, this is like a fun, this is such a fun group. Like, Ichiro it Suzuki. Really like, I'll say you look at the caliber of some of these players and you realize that Jimmy and Ryan really did just invite Shane because Pete's probably bored <laughs> at his at his medical dispensary in Hawaii. But, like, he, it's, you know, it's Dexter Fowler, Latoya Hawkins, Ichiro Suzuki, Nick Swisher. Uh, Michael Bourne. I love Dexter Fowler. He's fun. Uh, Fred McGriff seems like the out seems like an outlier here a little bit. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the only ones from a I would say a different era. You want to say? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> that was confusing, but like it's really cool. It is very cool. Uh, so yeah, it's always great to just you know see more stuff about these guys because you know well, well, what do we what do we know like uh, Ryan Howard opened a, a, a fried chicken restaurant in New Jersey in his retirement I believe co-wrote some children's books <laughs> uh, Jimmy Jimmy and both of them have done analyst work uh, mm-hmm. at various like postseason games and MLB Network uh, and like you said Shane's got his business and you can also by the way uh, he was also raising money for victims of the wildfires oh, yes. in Maui. His father is the former mayor of Maui County, so and obviously he is a native Hawaiian, so he is uh, uh, obviously very involved. Issue, very very involved with that. Um, so that's something to just, you know, I wanted to make sure we got out there too. Uh, but yeah, it's always cool to just see these guys in the in the news and, and still being a part of Major League Baseball and everything because you know they were they were very uh, they were very near and dear to our hearts yes. as well. I do want to say we're mostly saying it's cool because of the people involved because these are their listed duties. 
Um, They will participate in Major League Baseball programs, represent the game at MLB events, and support the league's international growth, among other responsibilities. Sure. Sounds deeply engaged. They were all yeah, in London you. for that for the that gate like a bunch of them are over in London along with like Chase Sutley. Like this is just is this just an excuse for them this is just an excuse for them to go travel on MLB's dime. Which you know what? Get it. Oh, oh I support that. Doesn't Chase live in London now? Yes, he does. Isn't- He's not okay. on this thing, but like it's like just an excuse for like Chase and, and Ryan and Jimmy and Shane to get together. <laughs> that's that's really funny. The more we think about, the more we're putting together, the more clearly that's what this is. Yep. Like, did, did they come to MLB, the two, Ryan and Jimmy, and say, like, hey, it's like when Adam Sandler wants to make a movie, and he's <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> we'll make some money, and my friends and I want to go to this other continent for a couple of months. Like, come on. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Well, in any case, uh, always always cool to catch up with what they're doing, even if it's just, you know, administrative MLB program stuff. Uh, but all right, well, like we said, the Phillies and Cardinals will be playing it out. And uh, as we know, the Cardinals have had a lousy season. They are a team that has really been allowing a lot of runs early. Um, they really they, they give up a lot of runs in the first inning. They're always trailing early. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. If only the Phillies were good at scoring in the first inning. Starting this week, they had a 242 batting average in the first inning as a team. They are not going to ambush you like the Braves do. The one, two, three spots in their batting order have had a combined 240 batting average, which is 27th, 315 on base percentage, which is 26th, 406 slugging percentage, which is 24th, as well as being tied for the fourth highest K rate at 24.7%. But that being said, the Cardinals are very bad. And uh, it would be great to see the Phillies take part in helping them make this a lost season to forget. So we'll see what happens. And Hitting Season will be back uh, early next week to talk about this series with the Cardinals and how that went. Uh, Until then, you can find more content at patreon.com slash Hitting Season. You can spend happy hour with me and Chris Jones on Absolutely Hammered. You can hear stories about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philly's history on The Dirty Inning. That'll do it for this episode from WHYY and Billy Penn. I'm Justin Clue, that's Liz Rocher, and this has been Hitting Season. <laughs>